This is good advice. I have a lot of experience with New Year's resolutions. Take those sound clips, move them up to the front as a little like teaser line. Like just just like play this little teaser line and then say, all right, let's get into it. I think you should definitely do that because that's that's gold right there, Jerry. That's gold. I'm going to take you telling me to move it as a teaser <laughs> and make it as part of the teaser. This is going to be the teaser. People are going to hear this at the beginning of the show. Oh, my gosh. Your advice. Your advice that you just gave me changed my life. <laughs> But then they're going to hear it again in entire context and realize how terrible we are and how bad the show is. No, 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 they won't. They won't. They'll forget. They'll forget. They'll be like, I don't remember hearing that. No, they will remember it. It'll be neat. They'll be like, oh, now I'm hearing that part. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait to hear the edit. It's going to be great. At what point does this teaser end is the real question. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Does it ever end? Maybe we go on a teaser streak. All right, let's get into it. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm David Cooper. This is the only show where no one's listening. No one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. My sincere apologies for being out last week, but we are back to our regularly, irregularly scheduled programming. Besides being very stressed about my housing situation, which is not good, I'm also working on one or two exciting things that I hope I'll be able to announce on this show very soon. Now, this episode, Dan Riskin, our science expert, him and I are going to catch up from the last time we spoke, which was before the new year. And we're going to talk New Year's resolutions and how they can be done effectively. And spoiler, it's okay if you haven't started yet. Do I have a plan for you? So Dr. Daniel K. Riskin, Esquire, PhD, or something like that. Just typing the words, I won't stand for it. Oh, because I was late to your changing of the time at the last minute? No, no, no. I was multitasking. I was working on another thing. One of my favorite things to get ChatGPT to do is to write Seinfeld scripts. I thought you were going to say passive-aggressive work emails. (laughs) No, no, this is not a work email. It's a... It's a side project. How are you, David Cooper? Did you get a haircut over the break? I did, thank you for noticing, and I showered, so it's kind of tame. Hygiene, part of the New Year's resolution for me. Do you do New Year's resolutions? I don't, but I've been reporting on New Year's resolutions because there's this psychology paper about how you can use streaks, like, uh you know, doing something every day as a motivator to get your uh, resolution done. So instead of saying, I just want to eat better, or I want to get more exercise, you say, I want to go to the gym at least four times every week for at least 20 minutes or something like that. I want to talk about this in a moment because I've had insane luck to the point where we wouldn't be talking here today if I hadn't have done this pretty much to the T as this paper describes. Really? Yeah, we'll get to it. But I I just got excited about it. I know it's the new year. I haven't seen you since the new year. How was the holidays? You went to the island nation of Florida, as I understand. Yes, we went to Florida. I I have to admit, I did come down with a small bug, the likes of which I 
cannot recall getting whacked by a bug that hard in a long time. I was like fever dreams and so much sinus pressure that I couldn't sleep. Like it, it was a mess and I totally ruined my Christmas and then ruined the days after Christmas for everybody who was with me in Florida. So I was the monkey from outbreak and, uh, and I feel it, it sort of tainted my memories. It was a very nice trip and everybody else had a nice time in that initial period, but I just feel guilty for making everybody sick and I'm, you know, sulky about how much time I spent lying in bed. It was awful. Now, did you test for COVID? Was it COVID? Cause I got COVID. Oh, did you? Well, congratulations. Muzzle. I may have had COVID. I tested negative, but I, I mean, if it wasn't COVID, it was RSV. And if it wasn't RSV, it was the plague. I, I don't know what it was, but I have, I it just like my head felt like it was going to explode. It was just so much pressure. It was crazy. That's wild. How was your COVID? Was it bad or was it one of these minor ones? I mean, the night where I tested positive, it felt like the night I got my first vaccine. Like I had fever, chills, but it was like 100. Why do Canadians express fevers in Fahrenheit? It's like certain things like human height, we use feet and inches, but we're still good with meters. Yeah, I think that with temperatures, though, uh, you get the divisions between decimal points on the Fahrenheit scale are narrower than the divisions between Celsius ones. And so you can give a more precise, if even if not more accurate, more precise number. So you could be like, well, I'm 100.2 or 100.3, whereas in Celsius, maybe those two numbers wouldn't differentiate. So maybe that's why. I had 100.9. So I kept telling Miranda, my girlfriend, I have 109 fever, 109, 109, because I'm a hypochondriac. But yeah, I, well... Everyone talks about how Celsius is so useful. Zero is when water freezes. 100 is when water boils. But I just had this idea. Fahrenheit is extremely useful because 100 is where a fever starts. So there is some logic to it. It's a round, even number. Everyone complains about how American systems aren't multiples of 10, blah, blah, blah. But what's a fever in Celsius? Like 37 point something, 38? We don't even know. I, I don't. I certainly don't know. I know our normal body temperature is 37. I don't know what a normal body temperature is in Fahrenheit. I'm a mess. 98.6. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll never remember that because surely I've heard that before, but maybe I can remember it right now. 98.6. But then like ovens, we still use Fahrenheit. Well, that might be because they ship them to us and it's hard for them to get the numbers right. I don't know. Well, is it though? Because uh, Canadian cars are calibrated to kilometers, no problem. That's true. There's more money, I think, in cars than there is in ovens. I don't know, though. Like the the world industry for ovens versus the global industry for cars. Yeah, definitely cars makes more money. But the profit, the margins, right? Like if a car costs $40,000, but it cost them 35 k to make, and an oven costs three grand, but it only cost them 50 bucks to make, maybe, I don't know. I'm not a, this is why I'm not an economist. Yeah, and I remember once uh, when MC Hammer went broke and he was selling his house, he provided a tour of the house to some news reporter or something, and he had two ovens right next to each other. He, like His kitchen had two of everything, and it was just an example of how when you're MC Hammer and you're making so much money, you don't know what to do with it all. You're like, sure, for the kitchen, just uh, two ovens, just in case we want that. <laughs> I'm imagining he's roasting his squash in one and doing his duck in the other, and he needs one at 400, one at 325. He doesn't want them to touch each other because he's got this whole thing about touching things. And MC Hammer is a world-renowned baker. This is what we don't know about MC. Yeah, yeah I call him MC, too, because we're, we're tight. Well, his first name's M, his middle name is C, and his last name is Hammer. Goldstein. <laughs> it's like... 
Whatever Goldstein, yeah. type it Like Whoopi Goldberg, one of my favorite of the Goldbergs. Right, uh, sure. Yeah, she's not Jewish. Uh, I love that she gave herself a stage name, which was extremely Jewy. That's so funny to me. I don't know the history of that, but I think she's done okay for herself. I think she has a lot of money. I love her, and I loved her as Guinan in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, sure. I loved her on Star Trek. I would also like to know how many ovens she has in her kitchens. Like, did she pair up? Because she's got MC Hammer money. And she got taken down a few years ago for saying something, I think, vaguely anti-Semitic or vaguely racist. I don't remember, but she didn't get hit too hard. I still like her. I don't remember what she said. It's the view, right? So they just like all they're doing is like throwing things at them so that they'll get mad and say something. And then so then everybody can come down on them for saying it. I I don't know. It's It's a formula. It seems to work. What a world. 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 So Florida, fever trills. Your kids maybe got sick, I was hearing as well. It, they did, and my wife. And then the in-laws that flew in from Minnesota, they got sick too. I feel terrible. But you got it the worst. I got it first, and I got it the worst that I know of, unless the, the in-laws were quietly dying when they got back to Minnesota and cursing my name, which they should be cursing my name that I gave them the thing, no matter how bad it was. Ah, I just feel terrible about the whole thing. It was some tropical, subtropical, zoonotic, you know. Oh, I wish. I wish. I mean, it just felt like the flu COVID RSV thing. It didn't feel like something fun, like yellow fever, malaria. Like, it wasn't tropical. It was just boring. Why are the fun fevers named after colors? You got scarlet fever. Sure. Yellow fever. Yeah, I don't know. Probably racist reasons. I don't know. Mm, mm. New Year's resolutions. Do you have any? Uh, I do not have any New Year's resolutions. Do you, my friend, have any New Year's resolutions? In 2020, my last year in my career where I actually was a productive money-making human being, a techie, if you will, uh, a software engineering manager. Ooh, manager. Mm-hmm. I was bored until you said manager, and suddenly you have so much respect. Well, my title before that was principal software engineer, which is way fancier in, in my old circles. And you run a, a little elementary school of software engineers, and you're the boss of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Although I was more a boss when I was a manager. So, okay, even further back, 2014, I had just started getting into com- uh, stand-up comedy, and I said, I will perform on a stage at least once a week. I mean, many weeks it was four or five times, but that was my goal. Good for you. That's a streak. Go on. And it, I traveled to Japan. I had money. I worked in tech. I traveled to Japan. I traveled to Sweden. I went to Burning Man, and I did comedy shows in all these places. Wow, that was a good year for you, 2014. And that was the year where I was producing a comedy show towards the end of the year. That was part of my, you know, I was producing a show and being it is, is doing it once a week. And I needed to promote it. And so a friend invited me to promoted on his radio show and that was the first time i was ever on a radio show aha uh-huh. that's when i fell in love with the medium yes so as part of the new year's resolution to do stand-up more i discovered radio so kind of by accident yeah, but that's also like that's the whole idea behind a new year's resolution is that you push yourself in a better direction because you hope that something big will happen you hope it's non-linear like that yeah Tremendous luck with that. I end up hating stand-up, sort of falling out of it, loving radio. 2020, as I go to mull over to quit my job, I'm like, I'm going to do five days a week something to try to get a job in radio or do radio. Uh, and doing the small radio show I was doing at the time wasn't enough. I need to like email producers, email pro- station managers, program managers, meet people who are in the industry, do appearances on other people's shows, anything. And so I had a spreadsheet with 
a column or a row rather for every day of the year. And I had to put five in for the week. And if I did four in a week, I had to do six the next week. So I was kind of easy on myself. There was a way to make up, but I had to, you know, do it. And I, that's how I met the former program director of News Talk 1010, who got me the job at iHeartRadio. What, you emailed them out of the blue? No, I hounded my friend George uh, Strombolopoulos to, do you know anyone? Do you know anyone? Do you know anyone? And George was like, okay, I know one program director. Uh, so I followed up with him, and then I got the, and then the meeting with him was something that I kept following up for, because if I had to do something in a given day, and following up with someone was something, I, I was really fastidious about it. And I'm doing that this year. I'm, I have a spreadsheet and the goal is get a, you know, get a decent job or at least work towards it. Doing this podcast isn't enough. That, that's kind of the, the goal of the thing. But I wouldn't have had the job that I had. I wouldn't have met you. Honestly, I wouldn't have probably been on radio, period, because I wouldn't have been so rigorous about doing stand-up in 2014 that I never would have been invited on the radio and discovered I loved the medium. Wow. New Year's resolutions for me. I've, I stick to them. Do you make them every year? Because it seems like they're really powerful for you. So, but you've talked about 2014 and 2020. Or are those the only years you made them? Or like in 2019, did you make it one? And it's, eh, 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 eh. 2013 was a shit year for me. I made the spreadsheet in the first week. I think I only did four instead of five. And then the second week, I was like, fuck it. Oh, wow. It, I have a bit of the alcoholics mentality where like you slip once and that justifies slipping again. You know, like when I was drinking, it's like, okay, well, I fucked up and drank and, and showed up at work drunk and got in a fight with a friend and my girlfriend's mad at me and fuck it. I, uh, I drank yesterday and I screwed up even though I wasn't supposed to. So I'll drink today, you know, or, or the kind of mentality like I'm a piece of shit. I did this bad thing. I, I let myself down. So I'll just let myself down again today because I've already done it. It's not healthy. But that's kind of what happened last year. How did you not have that mentality in 2014? When you do have a week where you do four, how do you not fall off the, the wagon, so to speak? It's a choice, Dan. It's a choice. And so you make a choice as part of that New Year's resolution that this is going to be a wagon that I do not fall off of. And if I miss a day, uh, I'm going to forgive myself and keep going. And, and so that's why there's this built-in mechanism to make up for it. Yeah, but if you do four one week, four the next week, four, the, and then you're like so in deficit, you're never going to catch up. Like, fuck it. That can happen. In the past, it's felt like it's intolerable for me to slip, but that's a choice. Like, you know. But five is aggressive. Like, what, what if you made like a three a week and you, you plan to do five, but you say, yeah, as long as I make three, I'm good. And then you start easy on yourself. I don't go to bed. I mean, I won't go to bed unless there's something. And if it's like 3 a.m. and I know I need to email this person at this radio station who I'm supposed to meet with or somebody told me I could follow up with them or email this person who said they let me be a guest on their show, uh, I schedule at 3 a.m. an email to go out the next morning. Oh, I see. But does 3 a.m. count as the day before? Yes. Even though, even though it goes out the next day, it counts for that day. Before you sleep. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, so I had a streak going for a couple of years where I had to run five kilometers every day, but... I could miss a day anytime I want. I just could never miss two days in a row. That was the rule. So basically, I ended up running almost every other day, right? Like as soon as I created that gap, it was like, okay, well then I run half of days and then I'm still achieving my goal and that's all I have to do. So every other day, I would run five kilometers at least and I would run farther some days. What if you're sick? If you're sick, you run. If you're, if you're, so here, the, the day that I almost lost it, I, it was 10 at night, I'd had a beer, I was at the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey game with great seats. I was right up against the boards. I got these seats from somebody at Bell, like back back in the day. I'm sitting there. I'm watching uh, the. I'm watching them play. They're they're great. And then uh, the game ends, and I'm like, oh no! If I don't run before midnight, 
I will have fallen off the wagon. And I've been going for like two and a half years. So the guy that I'm with, I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I got to run all the way home from here, from downtown to Leslieville. I have to run. With the beer in your body and your normal clothes. and Yeah, I don't normally run after a beer. I also don't normally run when I'm wearing a sport jacket and dress shoes and nice jeans. But I did. <laughs> Some fucking Forrest Gump energy right here. <laughs> I did. I ran all the way from downtown where the hockey game was, all the way back to Leslieville. And the guy that was with me, he was, was my neighbor. He's a super nice guy. This guy named Ryan. He ran with me too. Huh. So, and then he, but he insisted that we had to keep drinking after that. And then I couldn't say no. And I was like ready for bed. But then he's like, we got to, if I ran with you all the way here, you got to come out for a drink. So then we ended up having a couple drinks. Absolutely. Wow. That's a, it's a nice story. Now I want to just reiterate this alcoholics mentality and why it's so um, damaging. The idea is if you slip on your sobriety one day that justify like, Oh, I was a disappointment to myself. You know, I'm a piece of shit. I drank when I wasn't supposed to, I'm an alcoholic. The next day you wake up and it's like, well, I did it yesterday. So I can break my commitments today. I have a problem with this mindset, although I, I try to work through it. And part of this, okay, I can make up for a missed day the following week is a way to a built-in mechanism to not be so hard on myself, but also a built-in mechanism that if I slip, I can catch up without, you know, breaking the, the rigidity, the rules. So I can kind of have this structure that is like streak-like and I'm a bit neurotic and it's intolerable for me not to make it while having simultaneously a built-in mechanism to have little slips and not be too hard on myself because I will be too hard on myself, which is what happened last year. But that's besides, I kind of wanted to be, I wanted to feel like shit because I just lost my job and all that. My question is with the running, is there a mechanism for you to catch up or the day that you slipped was the day that you ended? Yeah, it stopped. I didn't make it. And then I was like, well, I guess that's done. And then I moved on to larger distances less frequently and I didn't make it a streak, but that's come and gone. And so, um, I don't know, I've, I've been trying to sort of get back into running, but I haven't made it into a streak. But as I talk to you, I realize that if I'm serious about it, I should just make it into a streak. So maybe I do need to get back into the streak thing. I've never actually done this, but I do advocate for this. New Year's resolution should start February 1st because everybody's trying to do them January 1st and all this stupid pressure and people sign up for gym memberships. That they, I mean, gyms love New Year's resolutions. Oh, yeah. They never use them. Uh, and I think if you're really serious about it, just do it February 1st because there's no social pressure. It's not trendy. You really care. I've never actually done this. I like that. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's, you're talking me into this. I think I might do this. It's good advice. You know, people who have a lot of experience fucking up and, and knowing a lot about stuff and not necessarily doing it. Like people who are totally insane give really good kind of psychiatric advice because they've been through it. I've been through these motions of screwing up. I am an alcoholic and I haven't slipped since February 8th, 2019. And I do worry about the day that I do. You Do you count the days? Like, do you know how many days that is? No, but I, I know it's February 8th. I mean, I know I'll hit five years. In, sorry, uh, September. Why did I say February? Because we were talking about February. It was September 8th, 2019? September 8th, 2019. And I know that I'll hit five years on September 8th, but I'm no, I'm not counting the, the days. That's cool though. There are apps, eh? There's like, I think the app's called Streaker or something like that. And you pull it up and it tells you how many days it's been. Yeah, I don't like this streak mentality because it's got a real built-in mechanism to once you miss a day or a week, mm. you just give up. And that's not a good way to, but also like the idea of giving up being so intolerable to you that you don't is also a helpful mechanism. So I don't know what the balance is. I think I found it where you're super fastidious. You're coming up on five years without having a drink. So something's working. Sure. 
But I worry about the day that I slip. Like, what's going to... I've been rambling a lot. Are you, are you going to do a New Year's resolution this year? Well, now you're making me think I need to get back on my running thing. I should get back on the running thing because I liked it when I had it going. And it wasn't that hard to keep. Like, it's pretty easy. If you, The mechanism of, like, having a day off in between and only five kilometers. Like, the nice thing about that is, like, I would regularly run eight. That was, like, my distance. I had a route. And I was like, oh, eight kilometers. If you say five, then as you're running, you're like, all right, well, I've already done that. I'll just keep going here. But I've, at least I've got a check mark, you know, something like that. On Tuesday of last week, I prepped a deck for a someone in radio to pitch my show. I, I prepped um, audio clips for another person. And I met with someone in the industry in person. I did three things that day. These things I do a lot. Right, right. But you, it's one check mark. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be as much as like emailing my agent to be like, hey, can you follow up with this person? Like it can be a small thing, but it has to be something. So is that your resolution? Is that what you've done this year? Is that your resolution is five, five a week? Five a week. Like it's stupid shit. I mean, it's like kind of tacky to even say about it, but like, you know, meet with a mentor, apply for a job. Yeah. But you just showed how that got you exactly doing that in 2014 was so helpful for you. So it's not that stupid. Yeah. Or like doing a guest spot on a show where I don't regularly do a guest spot doing some social media bullshit. Like it's all little stupid things that are part of the job. But yeah, it's it's like hustling, I guess. Hustle a little bit every day. Yeah, hustle a little bit every day. It also, when you go to bed, you feel like, okay, I did, I did do something. Yeah. Because that's one of the things about being a freelancer where you're trying to like get gigs and all that stuff is like sometimes a few days go by and you're like, have I done anything? Have I just stopped? If I disappeared, would anyone notice? You know, those kinds of feelings. I understand those. Oh boy, we're getting deep now. <laughs> I know that if I disappear, no one will notice. I also know I crave disappearance right now, but the idea of people noticing is so painful and bare. It's like the idea of my funeral. This is going to get really dark. Oh, I wasn't going to funeral. I was just like people not getting an email. I'm pretty on the level right now. I'm, I'm like pretty much in remission with the major depression. But, you know, I've had moments where I've wanted, like it's just ideation. I haven't gone to the edge of a bridge or anything, but I've had suicidal ideation. And what's really ugly is I start thinking, well, if I go, my funeral's going to be so embarrassing because people don't like me. I can't bear the thought of like people noticing for a second that I'm gone because so few people will notice in such an embarrassing way that I, I have to stick around even though I want to go. Like that's how ugly the thoughts get. You're, <laughs> you're like, oh God. I can't. <laughs> that is, well, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. I mean, I've. Is that ugly? Is that dark? It is. It is. It's sad. It, but I'm glad that you're not there now. And, it's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, if you're ever flirting with that, give me a ring. I'll stop it. I mean, or give me a ring any other time. I don't know. Just uh, whatever it is that keeps you out of that mess. If I'm part of whatever keeps you out of that mess, just take advantage of me and that or whatever it is. I've been out of that mess for, for a while. Good. The real thick of it is when I was going through my divorce and I had a drug problem and I was drinking and I, I'm like, sobriety has, has served me well. Have you ever seen a show called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared? Uh, no, but I love it based on the, uh, the title of it. I just discovered it yesterday. It was like something, somebody in the New York Times wrote like, here's a thing I found that is very weird. And it's like these three puppets, actually two of them are puppets and one of them is a guy dressed as a puppet. And it's so weird like one day they the guy opens his newspaper and it says that he's died he's like oh that's strange i didn't know i died and then like a coffin appears and like takes him away and buries him he's like so what do i do now oh i've made some friends and there's these maggots eating his leg like it is so dark and so weird 
and uh, it's got music and it is hilarious, but it's also like, it gives you an emotional feeling of like, oh, this is scary. This is like, it's actually scary. It's actually scary. And, but it's all playful and happy and British with all these like accents. Anyway, I recommend uh, you check that out. There's six episodes are on YouTube. It's my new favorite show. Don't hug me. I'm weird. I'm scared. Don't hug me. I'm scared. Yeah, I recommend you. I've only seen the first uh, two episodes, and Lord God, I'm not the same person I was 24 hours ago as a result of having seen those. They were weird. All right, let's get into the science behind rigidity around New Year's resolutions. Because you had like you had these stories, and they got me thinking. This is something I've been wanting to talk about on the show um, about how New Year's resolutions have helped me. But you have to be careful because if you're too hard on yourself or you're too rigid you'll end up kind of failing pretty hard, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I was putting my science stories together for the start of the year, and I saw a couple go by that were about New Year's resolutions. And I, I was just thinking about, like, you know, my clients, the the shows that I appear on and how that's going to be topical and they're going to be interested. And so I was I, I was invested in sort of finding the, the silver lining on them. And the one about making routines is kind of like this marketing professor from Clemson University saying, here, here's an idea, but they, all these companies do this. They do streaks, so try making a streak. But what did he so he based his advice on a scientific paper he'd written and in the scientific paper they look at what makes those streaks more or less likely to succeed and these are streaks not really new year's resolutions but things like going to every alabama football game every home game for alabama football 726 games in a row like this old guy who's gone to all the games keeping that streak alive or or you know other things that people do that aren't necessarily to make their lives better or whatever but things that people can stick to for a long period of time and trying to figure out what it is that makes them stick to it and what they found is that the if if the streak is part of your identity if being on that streak is part of how you present yourself to the world and you see it as part of what makes you you that is a, a streak that you are much more likely to stick with than one that you know is good for you or that is easy or whatever the or that you give yourself a, a bigger upside like a, a big reward at the end of it whatever it is it's the identity piece and that resonated for me because when i was running i was really proud of the fact that i was running and i would identify not i would i would caveat a little bit and say i'm not a runner but i do run and i, I was kind of proud of that right and now like i don't use that same one i gotta interrupt my girlfriend loves taylor swift but she says she's not a swifty and now i'm mad at you and i'm mad at her but go on that, that makes perfect sense to me what, what what about that statement angers you because she's playing the fucking music all the time. And in your case, you're running all the time. You're a runner. No, no. Runners are people that like love running. I don't love running. I just love what running does for me. But when I'm actually running, I'm like, ah, no. Ugh. When I'm going out the door, I'm like, ah, I know I'll feel better when I'm done. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. That run was great for me. But I don't like running. Runners are like, I just have to be running. I just have to push myself. Oh, I ran until I puked the other day. It was awesome. I think this is one of these cases where these two are synonymous and you don't see it. No, it's different. It is different. It is different. It is different. It is different. And for the Swifty thing, like Swifty has a whole con cultural connotation. Like there's a bunch of people that call themselves Swifties. It's kind of like if you act like a feminist, but you don't want to call yourself a feminist. I I it all makes sense to me. Okay. What I mean, I guess, yeah, she says Swifties are like crazy online. They have like forums and meetups and they're conspiracy theorists. And she just loves the music. That's what she said. She just loves the music. Yeah. She doesn't love the cult of Swift. Yeah, there you go. Fine. Fine. You're not a runner, but you ran. Go on. 
Yeah. Um, so that was one side of the of the New Year's resolution was this science of how to make it work, which is to link it to your identity. The second paper that I found was a little less compelling, but interesting, where they basically made up these stories for and, and people read them. And it's like, this person said they were going to go to the gym every week, but then they didn't go to the gym every week. Would you still want to make them your lab partner for this class if they were undergrads or something like that? So, Well, there, I, there's a reason why you might not, because they're using you as part of their accountability or accountability structure. Like they're proclaiming to their social circles, I'm going to the gym every day. I'm starting a new leaf. Implicit in telling them that is sort of making, it's like you're making me accountable. And I don't I don't want you to be accountable to me to go to the gym, but you're involving me by now with making a big deal and talking about it and telling me about it. And you won't shut up about how you're going to turn a new leaf and go to the gym. And then when you stop going to the gym, I'm like, screw you. You're using me as accountability and you're not at being accountable. I don't want to be your fucking lab partner. What if you say you have to get the, the, the science experiment done on a Tuesday? You're not going to do it. Your sentiment, it matches with what people said. When people feel that their New Year's resolution or whatever it is, people are like, eh, no, I don't, I don't really think they're very, they don't have pretty good uh, uh, self-control. I don't want them to work with me because I don't think they're reliable. But then what they did is they modified it. So they said, okay, the reason that Sally failed on her New Year's resolution to go to the gym is she- <laughs> The reason Sally failed on brushing her teeth every day is- Well, no, it wasn't brushing your teeth because it's harder to work for this. Going to the gym, the reason is Sally did not have money for a gym membership. Or enough money for toothpaste. <laughs> or tooth. <laughs> Sally had spent all her money on methadone or whatever, and so could not buy toothpaste. I don't know. But in, in the examples they used, it was usually exercise or diet, right? So Sally didn't eat a vegetarian diet because it was getting too expensive. And she found that. So there are two branches of excuses that they use in this experiment. One was it's too expensive. And the other one was it took too much time. So it, for some of them, it was like, I would need to go to the gym, but I, I just cannot, I could not make it. I was too busy with work. I did not have time. I literally could not go to the gym for half an hour, five days that week because I had this huge project that I had to do. People are sympathetic to the money excuse, but they are not sympathetic to the time excuse. And that is not because one of those really is more valid than the other. It might be, but that's not really what the paper's about. The paper's about how we perceive people and how we judge them. And so if you are saying to the world, I failed at my New Year's resolution to email five producers every week or whatever it is, you need to come up with an excuse that is an external thing, not an internal thing. So instead of, I just didn't have time to email those producers, your excuse to the world needs to be something like, I had a major crisis with my uh, with my work, and it took up uh, it took up all my attention. I didn't want to email those people when that was happening because it was going to be too confusing. Something like that. I couldn't afford internet anymore. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, an easier one for them. It was really about money versus time. They they really made the paper about that. So I thought that would be a fun paper to report on because then people have a better ex better idea of what excuse to use if they want to save face, and that is to blame money. Well, here's having a lot of experience, luck, and then last year not so luck because I. Found fell off the wagon right away and use that as an excuse to not get back on. But regardless of whether I've had extreme luck with it or not luck, I have experience with it. My first piece of advice is start it February the 1st. My second piece of advice is maybe wait till March the 1st to start telling everybody about it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. To have it to have it going for yourself. Start doing it before you make your like you're basically you're asking your peers for like to be responsible for you by telling them. Yeah. That's so stressful. If somebody comes to you and says, I have gone running every single day this month, you're like, awesome. That's great. I hope you keep it up. 
If somebody comes to you and says, this coming month, I will run every single day, then you're like, oh, this is awkward. Because what if you don't? Then you have to like report back to me. Like you, you put a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, and leave me the fuck out of it. I don't want to be part of your weird mind games that you're playing with yourself so that you'll run more that you may not do. Yeah. Tell everybody about your New Year's resolution a month after you've kept it up and start it on February the 1st because there's no social pressure and weirdness and it shows that you're serious. Yeah. I like it. I like you. This is good advice. I have a lot of experience with New Year's resolutions. Take those sound clips, move them up to the front as a little like teaser line. Like just just like play this little teaser line and then say, all right, let's get into it. I think you should definitely do that because that's that's gold right there, Jerry. That's gold. I'm going to take you telling me to move it as a teaser ah, and ah, make ah. it as part of the teaser. This is going to be the teaser. People are going to hear this at the beginning of the show. Oh, my gosh. Your advice. Your advice that you just gave me changed my life. <laughs> but then they're going to hear it again in entire context and realize how terrible we are and how bad the show is. Oh, no, 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 no. They won't. They won't. They'll forget. They'll forget. They'll be like, I don't remember hearing that. No, they will remember it. It'll be neat. They'll be like, oh, now I'm hearing that part. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait to hear the edit. This is going to be great. I'll listen to it while I'm at the gym. Because guess what? I'm going to the gym every month or every day. What am I supposed to do? I tell you, I'm going to the gym every single day starting now. Just kidding. I'm not. At what point does this teaser end is the real question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, does it ever end? Maybe we go on a teaser streak. <laughs> Uh, that'll be the end of the teaser. So p the first words that people will hear is that will be the end of the teaser. If they listen to the teaser <laughs> in the show, not at the beginning, right now on the show, that's the part they wouldn't have heard at the beginning that we teased. Right now we're in the, the teased part that people didn't actually get to hear at the beginning when we teased with the teaser that we just described in the teaser. Wow. This is, this is very, very David Cooper. This is the most David Cooper conversation I've had in a long time. Might be my most David Cooper conversation I've had this year. So David Cooper's two rules to succeeding, uh, three rules to succeeding at your New Year's resolution. Be rigid, but have a mechanism to catch up if you fail one week or, or go fall slightly behind this week. For example, you're running once every two days. If you screw up, run two days in a row. You just have a defined rule instead of a cliff. Exactly. And it kind of is a cliff because if you start screwing, like if you miss 100 days. That would, that would really get you, right? If you did it as an exponential function, like if you miss a day, you have to run two days in a row. But then if you miss another day, if you miss a second day, then you have to run four days in a row, something like that. Or just like, don't be so fixated on January the 1st. If you fuck up in a month, like start it again the next month of the month and go like March for whatever, like let's say it's June 14th, June 14th to June 14th. Like, you know, you can, you can, there's mechanisms to. June 14th not good for me. I'm pretty busy that day. Look, I just mean make mechanisms to forgive yourself for being a shithead and breaking your commitment to yourself and starting a renewed commitment. Yeah. Okay. So mechanism to catch up for missing the commitment, still make it pretty rigid though. Yeah. So there's mechanism to catch up, still pretty rigid. Start February 1st. Uh, don't tell anyone until March 1st. Those are my four rules, not three rules, four rules. Four rules. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And measure the progress. I have a spreadsheet with a column for every day or a row for every day. Does it, do you have another spreadsheet that calculates the, the count, that keeps the count going for you or anything like that? Like how do you... I have a notes column and I highlight days on. So five days, I highlight, highlight them green. Days off, I highlight yellow. And if I miss a day, that's now red. And if I do a six in one week, that's bright green. I got a system. This is system did. They're color-coded. You have conditional formatting. Yeah, I got... Well, now I manually do it because I'm fucking lazy. But uh, 
what? Oh, making the spreadsheets more fun than using the spreadsheet. You got to conditionally format those things. Conditionally formatting based on a prior row is kind of hard. And adding borders based on conditional formatting, you can't do on Google Sheets. And I use borders. Oh, Google Sheets. I'm using Excel. I I know Excel is like the old people's spreadsheet program, but I I do like Excel. I really do. It's better than I, if you. It's an amazing. It's one of Microsoft's great products. But you really do have to know how to use it because it's fucking made in the in the four 1940s with all kinds of crazy shit that like wouldn't be intuitive today. But people now have learned it. Yeah. Uh, whereas Google Sheets kind of takes the more okay, it's a little more intuitive if you've never seen a spreadsheet before and you weren't trained on Excel in the 90s when computers functioned a certain way. Yeah, I think like Excel spreadsheets, I'm like, equals function, open parenthesis, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Google has all that, but it's also just like intuitive dragging and droppings intuitive and this kind of stuff. Now we, uh, anytime you and I get into an Excel conversation, you can bet the listeners are like, oh, shit. <laughs> beep that, beep that. You got to beep that. I should, didn't mean to swear. I don't swear. Ah, fine. I'll bleep you saying shit. I have every time you've sworn that I've bleeped in a little mini mini sizzle reel ready to use to blackmail you at any time. Good, 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 good. Yeah, New Year's resolutions. I've already overshared about it. I've overshared. I shouldn't have told anyone until February 1st. Are you an oversharer? Ah, see what I did there? Yes, obviously I am. My <laughs> life's work is oversharing. <laughs> I've turned oversharing into an art form, Dan. Now, is it good? Is it good art? No, but it's art. There's a, there's a, there happens to be a scientific paper about oversharing that I want to share with you. It's a paper about why we overshare, and it's making the argument that we overshare because of these evolutionary drives that are not rational. The idea is that this sort of straw man hypothesis that the paper fights against is this idea that when you decide to overshare, it's because you've done a calculation in your head and you've said, if I overshare, I'm kind of vulnerable, but they're going to like me. I'm going to do the math. It's worth it. I want them to like me. And so you do the math and you're like, okay, I'm going to overshare this time. And then later you're like, I didn't do the math very well. But what they're saying is that there's no math. There's no rational anything. It's all emotional. And it's the more emotional you feel, the more likely you are to overshare because it's like this release when you feel a certain kind of tension. And they have these arguments about why that's good for a group selection. And I don't believe their arguments. But the idea that it's emotional, I think, is pretty compelling. So I have anxiety. I'm anxious all the time. I'm as anxious to interview you as I am to public speak in front of a thousand people as I am to say hello to the barista. It's almost like th that scene in The Hulk when she asked the Hulk, how do you not, you know, how do you prevent from being angry? And he's like, no, no, I'm always angry, you know? Like, so it, even when he's not angry, he's always got control over it. I'm always at a 10 for anxiety. So anxiety is actually a superpower because public speaking is not so bad for me. Doing stand-up comedy is not so bad for me because everything is bad for me all the time. <laughs> you should put that in the reel too at the start. No, no. The reel's already perfect. <laughs> it is good. I remember it. It was fun. It, you should end with the reel too. <laughs> Just use the reel all the time. <laughs> so I think maybe I overshare because I'm anxious all the time, but... I don't really see it as a vulnerability because I overshare with everyone. Like everyone knows everything about me. So, but I also talk about my intimate details of my sex life with Miranda on the radio, no problem. But then I have these friends who like, when they have a sexual problem that they wouldn't share with anyone, they'll be like, okay, I can tell David because he's told me all these things and I can trust him. So you do get a benefit. Well, I'm like, you can't trust me. I tell everybody this shit. I'm not your safe space. Plus, I have a big mouth. You should learn from hearing me say too much is that I say too much, not that I am a safe <laughs> place to tell too much too. Exactly. I have this one friend who's a real like, you know, cards up to the chest, kind of like 
you know, waspy guy who would never tell anyone and never talk about his feelings. And he's confided in me things that like, I didn't want to hear they're so intimate about him. And I'm like, now I got to carry this burden? His thing is not erectile dysfunction. But imagine it was. Like, if I had erectile dysfunction, I'd tell everybody, you know? Right. Comedy gold. Yeah, but then he would tell me, and now I got to hold the secret. Fuck that. Is it? Is there a benefit to oversharing? Or are we just, we're feeling more emotional, we do it? By their definition, oversharing is when you, there is not a benefit. When you've done it, and then you're like, ooh, that was bad. And now I'm going to be canceled because I wrote that Facebook post about how I really feel about that person and Whoopi Goldberg or whatever it is. Like, and maybe oversharing is is what we're talking about the whoopee stuff too it's it's like but it usually happens when you're emotional and they actually cite some interesting papers where they show that people are more likely to overshare the day of a funeral when there's a big emotional day or if they're in a fight obviously when you're in a fight you'll say things that you regret afterwards um but also even just if you watch a really sad movie and then you hang out with somebody you're more likely to overshare in those contexts and so they really believe that it's it's this once the emotions start coming out we feel this tension and we feel like confiding and telling people our secrets is going to make us feel better but they liken it to a dangling carrot they say it doesn't really work and then you just regret it afterwards well i imagine you feel better in the moment but then you're like what the fuck have i done Right. Now I've got something else to worry about that's even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about times that friends unloaded on me, and I'm sure they did it because they thought I overshared and I was a safe space. Right. And I'm bad at keeping secrets. But, I mean, you said, I mean, okay, so so it changes the nature of your relationships with other people because they see you as an overshare, so they feel safe to share with you. But then are, do, how do you feel emotionally when you've overshared? Like you go on the radio and you're like, all right, uh, I have this thing that I'm feeling very anxious about and then you talk about it and then you're like all right i've shared it does that make you feel better or worse i don't know i've given this a lot of thought the idea of like well here's what i'm vulnerable with or here's what i could be made fun of so i'll tell you on my terms so i can own the narrative uh-huh you know like i'll make fun of me or i'll say i'm terrible so that if you make fun of me or say i'm terrible i'm like yeah i know that i own that narrative took the you took the wind out of their sails because now they can't use it there's that there's I, I like to get people, I like to create a space while performing where other people feel like they can share things they've never talked about before. Uh-huh. There's, there's like a lot of reason for it. I enjoy observing, listening to, consuming works of art, consuming interviews, consuming media where people overshare. You know, like there's a lot of reasons why I like doing this kind of stuff, but I, I don't know. Was that, that an answer to your question or? Yeah, that is an answer. I mean, if you, you, you're cultivating a culture of it and for you, it's part of your art too, right? Is you're creating a space where oversharing is part of the ecosystem. Yeah. So there's that. I had a train of thought there. I lost it though. I guess that's not important. What a great way to end. <laughs> I just landed there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, for me, I keep my guard up. Like I, you, you know me. You've talked to me a million times. I always keep my cards close to the chest, and I, I'm always worried about looking back. I, always, I have this like anxiety that I will look back at something I did five years ago, and like, why did I share those details? Because my situation has changed so much. Because I've always been like, like I've never been a big star by any stretch of the imagination. But there was a time where I was like appearing on these different shows, and I was like, I don't know how big this is going to get. And so if I start putting pictures of me with my significant other on social media what if people come after them or something like that and so i early on when i because i didn't do social media as an academic at all and so then once i started doing tv stuff and i started doing that stuff i was just like always had this like there's such a huge downside there's such like this i, I the scale of this could change in a way that i don't know what to expect and so i was just i've always been 
way more cautious than I've ever needed to be. And that's just become sort of my habit and I'm pretty comfortable with it now. I have been described as psychotic when it comes to sharing personal details about my life by people in the industry. (laughs) I have not yet really little things, but had consequences from it. I've had listeners who've reached out and made me uncomfortable with the way they speak to me about intimate details about my life that I've shared. I've had to set boundaries uh-huh. or block people. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's more like I'll deal with the, I trust my ability to deal with circumstances like that. Should they arise than live in fear of those circumstances? Yeah, I think, and I think there's wisdom there because we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. I think the anxiety about how I would handle the future if this happened or that happened, like the research I've seen shows that the research I've seen says don't buy insurance because if your house burns down, you'll actually be okay. You'll be able to deal with it just fine. And you don't need to replace all those things. And so paying all this money every year so that you'd be able to get back that 70% of your couch or whatever, it's not worth it. And so I have insurance. I don't take that advice, but I think there's wisdom to that advice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of looking back and being embarrassed or worried about things I've done, I've done so many things that are so cringy. And then I look back and I, especially as an alcoholic, things that I've done to friends, the way I used to behave, like I used to torture people. I used to be mean to people and think it was funny while drunk, you know, because I, I, it's, I'm always kind of on that line, on that edge of like, am I going to offend you or not? And I like to play and perform in the, on that line. But if you add alcohol into the mix, I just cross it without realizing. Right. That is kind of an alcohol thing, isn't it? Is that it pushes you over those kinds of edges. And it's just, it's hard for me to like worry about saying or doing something that will cause me discomfort or embarrassment or be a mistake because I've just done that so much (laughs) and I regret all of it and I've apologized for all of it. But the best I can do is just be as best as I can today. I don't know. Yeah. You said set limits, right? So like I don't go on social media if I've had a drink. That's a, that's a thing for me. That's pretty good. I know we're we're hitting up against time here. Yeah, okay, we should stop. But I, this has been a nice one. It's always a nice one. They're always better than than I remember them. I always think, oh, this was a really good one. That that have, that's three in a row of those. It's funny you think to yourself, oh, this is a really good one, because I always think Dan is never going to show up here again because I said or did something <laughs> so embarrassed. I think it's because the first time I met you, I was like rude or blunt. I don't even remember what. You, you got worried about something. In my mind, I left a bad first impression when we met. Nah, no. There's no bad. And we're past first impressions now. Now I'm on the, the, the latest impression. I just imagine every time you see me, it's the last impression is all. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're past first impressions. We're on to the last one. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming here. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time. It is a pleasure. All the best. Thank you for your time.